Our scriptures this morning are 2 Timothy 1 and 7, 1 verse 7 and 4 verse 7 and 8. And I'm in the King James Version. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Let us pause for a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, in Your Son's holy name, Jesus Christ, we come before You. Humbly, we are here today to receive the bread of life. We ask, Heavenly Father, that You bless us with Your words. We praise Your name because You are worthy of being praised, Heavenly Father. And we thank You for the privilege of being here before You. May it be Your words that come out of my mouth today, not my own, Heavenly Father. Stand me up for... I cannot stand here on my own. Thank you, Lord, in your Son's holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I like what was on the bulletin this morning. It says, and the Lord is speaking, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9 That is sort of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about humility as well. Luke 18.10-14 Two men went up to the temple... They went there to pray. The one was a Pharisee and the other a publican. Now pretty much I consider myself a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. For I am a tenth generation Jew. That's not in there, but I just added that. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the publican standing afar off, well, he would not even lift so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, said Jesus, this man, the publican, went back to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And can you imagine that perhaps Matthew, the tax collector, may have heard this parable, maybe have heard Jesus say these words. And what did Jesus say to him? Follow me. 
And what did Matthew do? He followed him. If you, my friends, have not humbly chosen to make the kingdom of God first in your life, it matters not what you have chosen instead. The Christian who trusts in and believes in his own right and his own will is like the very Pharisee who trusted in his own righteousness. If you are doing this, all you will receive from the gospel that you are spending so much time studying is only what the Pharisees got by their laws. They were further from entering the kingdom of God than the publicans they slandered, or the harlots that they condemned Jesus for associating with as he broke bread with them. Nothing but Christ in man can bring about a holy life. Nothing else can survive times that we are living in, friends, and the times to come. We must be strong. We must be courageous in the word of Jesus Christ. Genesis 6.13 God said to Noah, I am putting an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Noah, make yourself an ark out of cypress wood, was his command. Noah had spoken for 120 years. He preached over and over and over again, my friends. Can't you see people were on the brink of destruction? Repent, Noah called out. You sinners, get into the boat. E.G. White proposed that during the antediluvian period, that is before the flood, civilizations were farther advanced with physical and mental attributes than we even have today. They also had another thing which we share with our ancestors. Guess what that might be? Genesis 6, 5 says, And that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. What do you think about that, friends? Think that's going on today? Okay, now listen, listen. A voice is calling out from heaven. And those who are aware, those who are listening, will hear just as Gideon heard in Judges 6. Lord is calling out. Put your name in this place, okay? Gideon, Gideon, come out from where you are hiding. I need you out here now. Is God calling you? Can you hear his voice to come out and speak for him? You might say, just as Gideon questioned, Lord, what is that you say? You want me to do what? We know the story about Gideon fighting and running off the Midianite army. But first, he had to qualify his forces. Or should we say he had to cut his army in half, more than half. He had to trim it from being thousands to 300. Why would this be? This would show, by and through trusting in the Lord's guidance, a major win. 
In the dark of night, Gideon and his army, by simple use of lanterns and trumpets, scared those Midianites off. They ran for their lives. Let's go to the beginning of Judges 6. And here starts a curious relationship between the Lord and Gideon, son of Joash. And it's a curious, it is curious from the point of view that it parallels our lives today. Our individual relationship, our relationship as a church, perhaps even as a nation under God, parallels Gideon's story. Judges 6.12, when the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. I think how much I am like Gideon. I grumble. I complain. I question. I doubt. What's that you say? For most of my life, I will confess that I ran in the opposite direction. I grew up in a Christian church, not an Adventist church. I was baptized at the age of 12. And I felt like I was flying home after that. I had wings. I was only a few blocks from the church. And I ran home. And then something happened. Music came into my life. And I was a rock and roller on the road, recording and everything else for 20 plus years. There I was, running in the opposite direction, and the Lord would tap me on the shoulder. But you know what I told him? Ah, not now, Lord. I'm a little busy right now, okay? That happens to many of us. Happened to me. <clears throat> Happened to me. And you know, there's plenty of people who are doubting and complaining, including myself. I think about delegating the responsibility or passing the buck. I don't need to give offerings. There's plenty of people doing that. I don't need to give a testimony. There are others who are better at that. Who wants to hear about what Jesus has done for me? I don't have a good testimony, Lord. Someone else can do it. But you have to ask yourself, if it's not you, then who will bring witness in such a time as this? Who else? If not now, when? If not us, who, if not you, if not me, who else? Judges 6.13, Gideon refers to the nation of Israel, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. Really? Have you ever felt forsaken? Have you ever felt abandoned? 
Of course, all of us have at one time or another. Still, we must plant ourselves firmly in the word of Jesus. Deuteronomy 31, 6 and 8. I, and it states here, God says, I will neither abandon or forsake you. Claim the faith like the Israelites entering the promised land. Claim God's promises. Move forward. Be the Gideons of today. Do we not claim that we are the new Israel? Yes, we do. We're supposed to take their place. Here we go, friends. Judges 6.14. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Who is speaking and by whose authority is Gideon being sent? Who's talking to Gideon? The Lord. Oh, ye of little faith, huh? Still not believing what he is hearing, Gideon, who is reluctant, inquires in Judges 6.15. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. Maybe you put yourself there. My church is the smallest. We don't have enough people. My clan is the weakest, the smallest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. At this point, the Lord, well, he's probably smiling. He's probably shaking his head. Judges 6, 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites. Together. Together with the Lord, friends, that is how we do it. You're not going out alone. The Lord is with you. When you open your mouth, the Lord is speaking. You have to claim that ability because he puts you in that place. He will give you the words. You don't have to worry about it. The word together implies that God was with him. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can stand against us? God is with us. Amen? Amen. Together we will accomplish the mighty things. Together we will overcome. Suddenly, Gideon has an aha moment. And he comes around. Judges 6.17-18 He is excited because he realizes he is in the Lord's favor. Don't go away, he begs. Wide-eyed and overcome from being in the Lord's presence, Gideon said, I will bring back an offering, set it before you, so don't go away. And the Lord said, assuring Gideon of his patience, I will wait until you return. Praise Jesus that God waited on me to return. Suddenly Gideon sees all this happening before him. The patience of the Lord is incredible and he is waiting for us today. He is waiting on us to return. Oh, Elijah, 
Here then was a Hebrew prophet facing the very decisive issues we are facing today, and he then was asking his people to decide with him. Every last one of them was aware of the history of their nation, how God had delivered their fathers from bondage, how God led them into a land as pioneers, how his holy law had been written in their nation's constitution, how the Ten Commandments had become a bill of rights and a declaration of independence, but that nation's light had begun to fade. Moral decay began to set in. They had become lovers of things more than principles. They had become materialists and worshipped commerce. They now worshipped a god of flesh, and his name was Baal. Elijah was aware of the danger. He saw what was happening as the moral fiber was being stripped away. He summoned summoned the 450 prophets of Baal. He summoned King Ahab. And that nation's leaders. Oh, shouldn't we do that today? Shouldn't we summon people? Shouldn't we call them out? For Elijah said it could not be both. They had to get on one side or the other. And you remember the drama, don't you? Trial by fire. Out on those parched, sun-baked slopes of Carmel, Elijah announced the test. He announced, Go ahead. Let Baal and his priests have the first go. Suddenly, the weird and strange performances began. Elijah poked at the participants with sarcasm. Elijah shouted out, cry louder, cry louder. He is a God you cry out to, isn't he? Perhaps he's asleep, or maybe he's gone for a walk. Cry louder, wake him up. All day long, this went on. They were ranting and raving and dancing to the music until the Baal worshipers were spent and hoarse, they collapsed. There was no response. No voice had answered the worshipers' call. Second Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Calmly, Elijah went over to the old and broken down altar of Jehovah and set it upright. Placing upon it his sacrifice, no ranting, there was no raving, there was no blaring music, no shouts or repetitive mantras. Suddenly, the answer from Jehovah came down in a blinding, searing flash of fire that consumed up the offering. The people, they were awestruck. They were in shock. And they immediately fell upon their faces and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God.
The good Lord is a timely fellow. He shows up at the right time, does he not? He shows up at the right time. He is not slack. Sometimes we may think he would be. We could be praying for years, but suddenly, guess what? The Lord shows up. Did you know that God's name does not appear anywhere in the book of Esther? Yet you get the feeling by and through the words that he, the God of heaven and earth, is implied in everything, in every word. He is there working throughout this story. No disbeliever could have written it. No believer can read it without finding their faith restored. God's power and delivery is strikingly displayed. Divine power is united with human effort. We are God's boots on the ground, you know. And that was important then as it is today in our situations. Yes, the means used by our Father God is through humanity. But deliverance is divine. Although Esther is the lead actress in this story, Mordecai gets an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. It was said by Mordecai to Esther, and think about this, Esther 4.14, For if thou altogether hold thou peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether thou art came to the kingdom for such a time as this. How about it, friends? Are you in God's kingdom at the right time? Are you here for a purpose? You better believe it. If you hear the word and the God speaks to you, speaks to your heart, you need to claim it. You need to stand up and you need to deliver. Deliverance. This was Esther's time and should she choose to muster the courage and go forward according to her uncle's request, Wherever you are right now is the place for you to be of service. Are you rebuilding? Are you reinventing your life? Are you helping others? Whatever the situation, we are all connected with someone who is in strife, someone who is keeping up the good fight, running the daunting race, especially in times of uncertainty. Do you, my brothers and sisters, think You have an obligation to pay forward what you know? Yes, we do. Hosea 4, 6. For my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of my God, I will also forget thy children." I believe that this is the challenge for today's world. And we need to be involved in it. Esther fits today's dilemma in this time of present truth. Now, in the book of Esther, we open there. 
And we see that there's a party going on. And there's two huge feasts. And they are both being attended. In the beginning of Esther, one of the kingly debauchery, there is one of kingly debauchery and one deserving of a a queen's peace and noble grace. God overruled the king's folly for future good. Esther 1, 8 to 9. For seven days this party went on. This is the king's party we're going to talk about here. And there's drinking, eating, music, and dancing girls. Anything a man could imagine was to his good pleasure. One, Esther 1, 10 to 12. The king calls out for his beautiful queen. But Queen Vashti refused to leave her quiet, respectful gathering to display herself before drunks at the king's festivity. She acted at this time in harmony with a pure conscience. She believed that when the king sobered up, that he would commend her for her appropriate action. Now, don't think so. Not in the story. The king's face told a story of disappointment, and his close aide saw this and jumped into action. In order to set things right, the king's advisors unwisely suggested a decree, or I should say wisely, a decree to oust the queen from her throne and send her packing. A quest at this point for a new queen begins. Esther 1, 13 to 22 The wise and noble male princes of the king's realm reasoned that if the news spreads, this would set in motion throughout the land the rebellion of all wives against the spouses, thus creating internal marital turmoil against the men of that day. Vashti, the queen, by going unchecked, might have started an old-fashioned women's liberation movement. Well, they just couldn't have that happening. Through the ousting of Queen Vashti, God is in control and sets the stage for a mighty deliverance of his people by and through Queen Esther. Esther, in chapter 2, finds her to be made queen of the realm. Esther 2.21, Mordecai, her uncle, becomes a royal officer. Esther 3.1-3, Haman the Agagite is promoted, and this is where the trouble begins. And we have to note here, Agagite, the word Agagite is important because way back in 1 Samuel 15, 9, 8, and 9, King Saul was told by the prophet Samuel to destroy from the face of the earth everything Amalekite, including King Agag. But history tells a different story. There is one that got away. Now we can speculate as to the one that got away. Perhaps it was King Agag's concubine who was pregnant. So she goes off, she gives birth, and guess what? The lineage continues. And here we have Haman. Haman. 
Haman the Agagite is promoted, and this is where the trouble starts. Haman is now on the scene, and he is an offspring of King Agag, and everyone was required to bow down upon his passing. But when he went by Mordecai, Haman became vexed of this man because his unwillingness to comply with bowing down. Esther 3, 8 to 11. Esther 3, 8 to 11. Haman is so vexed that he goes and he whispers in the king's ear. And he says, There is a certain people among us, O king. There is a certain people among us. And we must suggest here that the trying times in the days of Esther are not peculiar to those times. Today, the enemies of the true church see in the little company keeping the Sabbath commandment as a Mordecai sitting at the gate of the realm. They look at us, perhaps, as we are modern-day Mordecais. So here, in Esther 3, 12, 13, Haman tricks the king into signing a decree to remove all Jews from the realm. They must go because they are vexing me, O king. They need to be disposed of. Esther 4, 1 to 3, Mordecai perceives what atrocity has taken place, becomes distraught and appeals to Esther. Esther 4, 15 to 17, Esther accepts the challenge. Esther 5, 6, and 8, she entertains the king and Haman. She was seeking to make a petition because she was found in favor of the king. She had gone before the king and appealed to him. Esther 5, 9, she wanted to have a banquet. And she wanted to have a banquet with Haman being present. What happens? After the banquet, the first banquet, Haman was joyful. But as he approached the king's gate, there sat that nasty Jew, Mordecai, who would not bow or move out of his way. Haman contained his anger, but inside his heart, it was on fire for revenge. He went home and he calls forth his friends, his wife, and verbally speaks of his accomplishments of the day. And in Esther 5, 13 to 14, Haman erects a gallows. A gallows is built. Haman's heart will will be vexed through the death, will be unvexed through the death of Mordecai. And he will merrily 
merrily attend the next queen's banquet and celebrate. But on that very same night, the king is vexed by sleeplessness. Something was bothering him. And in Esther 6, 1 to 3, the king checked out the court's chronicles. And what did he find there? He found that Mordecai had averted his very assassination. King Azarias wondered, why wasn't Mordecai given prominence for doing this? See, Mordecai had, had saved the king's life, but nothing was said. Here is where the plot thickens. And you have to say to Mr. Haman, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. We go to Esther 6.4. And he, the king asked who it might be standing in his court that morning. And it just happened to be happy Haman. Haman was very happy right then. And we read 6.6. 6, and we have to remember that pride goes before the fall, does it not? Right. Haman must now dress and parade Mordecai in honor through the streets. Because the king asked Haman, he said, what would you do for such and such a person if they did this and that and the king was Azarias was referring to how Mordecai had saved his life and he asked Haman what would you do and he didn't mention Mordecai what would you do sir to help to 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 give this man prominence and Haman said well I would put a crown on his head I would put fine vestments on his person and I would parade him through the streets Well, because Haman said all this, the king said, guess what? You get to do all this for Mordecai. Hmm. So there, a humbled Haman slinks back to his house after that. And later, Haman is escorted to the second day of the queen's feast, and the king asks the queen, what is thy petition in, seven, in Esther 7, 3 to 6? What is thy petition? And what does the queen say? The enemy and the adversary of all the people is sitting right here. It is that wicked Haman. It's him. Well, will the accused please rise? And even to even make the king even more insane and mad about this, the king walks into his garden, you see, for a moment. 
to think about this because he can't comprehend what's going on. Here's, he had elevated Haman to this position and now he finds out that Haman had tricked him. So he goes into the garden to contemplate. Well, while the king does this, Haman throws himself upon the queen's bed, asking, you know, there he is. He's, he's on the queen's, actually on her bed, asking her for forgiveness. And, and you know, what, what can I do to make this right? Well, as he's doing this, guess what? The king comes back into the room from the garden. And he sees this horrible man, Haman, is now on his queen's bed. That's it. Uh, enough. enough. The king will say, I've had enough. Guess what? You see that wonderful gallows that you built, Haman? Guess what? You're going to be hung on that very gallows. So, it could be said, it could be said of each of us that we will meet our destiny going down the very road that we chose to avoid it. Be careful, my friends. Haman's decree was countermanded, and all was well within the realm. Quite the story, huh? Think about this. The decree that will go out against commandment keepers will be like the one inspired by Haman and issued by King Azarias against the Jews. Think that's possible? The reverence of God's people for his law is a constant rebuke to those who have cast off the fear of the Lord and are trampling on his fourth commandment, Sabbath. There's many of people that would like to get rid of the fourth commandment, Sabbath. I just want to say that to be forewarned is to be prepared. The revelator, looking down the ages to the close of time, has declared Revelations twelve seventeen. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about one through ten here, are we? Are those the commandments we're talking about? Are we talking about that? Absolutely. Every one of them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Not just one, three, two, five, six, seven. We're talking about every one. But the fourth commandment seems to be missing from a lot of people's vocabulary. Satan has already aroused indignation against the minority who continue to thumb their noses at popular customs and traditions. Men in high positions and reputation are joining with those who are proposing these agendas to be on the forefront. A day of family rest will morph into a Sunday law. Yet today we are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be a sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Friends, it is my prayer today that we go out in spirit and in truth to bring sheep from the pastures into the fold for Jesus Christ. John ten sixteen, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Ephesians 2, 14, For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of the partition between us. We must trust in Jesus Christ and have the faith and the boldness to go out and speak his words. John fifteen fifteen to 17. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knows not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. I pray, dear friends, that today's message has brought a blessing to your Sabbath. Pause for a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege privilege of being here and just placing Jesus in our hearts as we walk through this world, Heavenly Father. We ask your mercy and kindness as we go from your sanctuary, Heavenly Father, and go home. Bless us each individually as we go through this next week, Heavenly Father. Keep us safe, Heavenly Father. Give us mercy. In your Son's holy name, amen.